Hey everybody, this is Keith Hancock alongside with my longtime industry pal, Christine DeVita. And welcome to another episode of Behind the Counter. Christine, how are you? Coming off the heels of having some great guests. We have some more lined up, but um, tonight they got to deal with just me and you, but you know, that's always good company. At least I know you are. How are you doing this tonight? <laughs> I'm doing good, Keith. How are you? Good. I like your outfit. I like your hat. Thank you. You look like a, you remind me of a lumberjack oh, yeah. right now. Yeah, I know. I feel like a little, I feel a little lumberjackish <laughs> tonight. Well, really, I got the Carhartt hat on. A nice flannel shirt, you know, I figure. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a look for you. I kind of like you know, it. Thank you. You know, I'm thinking I was, what really inspired me last night was when Rich, our recruiter, sent us that video of his fire pit, you know, and I was like, I just felt like it got me feeling like real manly and rustic, I guess would be the best way to put it. But yeah, I'm very, I'm very moody. I mean, next week I could have a goddamn fedora with a frigging feather sticking out the side. You just never know. And a monocle. I think weekly you should showcase different hats. I'm gonna dress up. I think that's a good idea. I'm gonna dress up like Mr. Peanut next week. See how that goes for everybody. <laughs> so what do we have in store for this week? So for tonight, we got some good things. You know, as much as I wanted to go and not make this a show about news, and you know, as we were talking to me or politics, those things come into play, and we're we talk about different subjects, marketing and things like that. But I don't want to be just any flat podcast, basically. You know, so we got to like, we got, I think the news is the way to go. What do you think? Keeping everybody up to date on industry stuff? I think it is because it's, it's, a, it's a hot topic. Everybody's on top of the news now, especially with this pandemic and the current, you know, um, I guess, presidency and whatnot. But right. uh, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, uh, the news is the news and it's what's, uh, what's hot out there. So why not cover it? At the end of the day, we thought we'd see a big f influx of staffing in our industry, and we haven't quite really seen that, at least not from what I'm seeing from people that we've talked to from the recruiting end of our business. I'm surprised and not surprised at the same time. It's, and it's a combination of a couple things that we're finding is people have either left and gone to different industries during the pandemic, or, they're just, okay. or they just haven't spent much money and they're still not ready. They've, they've gotten used to the sit-at-home life. Or they're doing like what we call gig work now and things like that. But at the end of the day, we, the industry is still getting pounded on not getting talent, although it is opening up. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that's causing harm for that. Gig work is a big thing now. I hate the term. I don't know why. I don't, I don't like it either, but it is what gig it is. Gig work to and... me equals lazy, no future, no benefits job. That's just what I think of gig work. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's just what I hear. I don't know. Maybe that's just, maybe I'm getting old and but cranky. Listen, I mean, look at the feedback that we got months ago, mm -hmm. right? That we, I was seeking advice from somebody who worked for my father, remember? Yeah. And he had said, you guys need to establish you know, marketing, PR, so on and so forth with DeVita and Hancock. Right. And he basically told me, do not outright hire anybody. Go on to different types of websites and go find people, create your team, basically, and subcontract it out. 100%. Or contract it out. And I think that's great. I agree. So, I agree. But, and this is where the core of all this stuff is now, is contracting out the work instead of having a, you know, your own staff. Exactly. And that's the, right, right. And that those things make sense, but some of the gig work, it's like, I don't know, it's like catering out of their kitchen and stuff like that, which kudos to anybody who wants to do anything, you know? But I guess that I'm just kind of like, 
guess I'm old school some in some regard. You know what it is? Gig workers back in the day for us were servers and bartenders and people in our industry looking for part-time work. True. Right? Very true. That's what I attribute the gig worker type of individual to. Now it's evolved so much that it's just a career now. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's easier for people to find work and find stability in doing that because now everything is very remote now, obviously, because of the pandemic. Well, that has changed. Yeah. And I think it's just a new way of doing things. I mean, if you think about it, right, some of what we do is um, gig work. Yeah, very true. Very true. You know, on, on, on the other side of our business, it's gig work. You know, it's just another term for what we do with our other business. But other than that, you know, the the unemployment, I could have sworn that once the unemployment had ended, the floodgates was going to open up uh, for people wanting to go back to work. Obviously, I was completely wrong about that. They went into other things. And real quick on the flip side, not to knock anybody for what they do, because that's not my intention. You're a peek into how my brain works. Part of me says that stuff, and then an hour later, I'm looking at them, and I'm like, maybe they're just actually fucking smarter than I am. To be honest with you, part <laughs> of my like, like, maybe I did it all wrong, and these maybe they got it figured out. I don't know, but we're we're gonna find out as as time progresses. I was completely wrong. I mean, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But the job markets, jobs have opened up. Restaurants are looking to staff, and you just can't find anybody now. So it's. You know, it's more on the hourly employee side than it is on the manager and an upside. You know what I'm right. saying? So it, these hourly employees just don't want to work in the restaurant industry anymore. Quite honestly, do I blame them? No, not really. Nope, you know, not. look what they're faced with on a daily basis now. You know, look what happened at Carmine's and that's just one restaurant, right? So you have a hostess getting beat up because she asked for um, vaccine, a vaccine card, you know? You have these 17 to 20 something year olds being put, you know, in front of what I call the front lines of something that they just don't have the wherewithal to handle. Right. And that's police customers, police guests, um, look at vaccine cards, enforce mask mandates while the managers are, you know, roaming around running, you know, running their organization. And I th- just think that it's too much for them to handle and I don't blame them. But on the flip side, I'm aggravated by it because, you know, this rent industry has been through so much at this point. We just need to get back to full staff execution, make some money and deliver a great product. And that's just not happening right now. Right. And then you have forget about the staffing and staffing doesn't just play into a server waiting on you in a restaurant or a cook sauteing chicken marsala in the kitchen. It stems to the whole progression of how we get that food to your place. So we're supply chain. Um, product things, getting things out to the restaurant, all of that stuff has really been kind of hurting. We're still waiting to see what they're going to do. You know, they, I know in Los Angeles, they opened up the ports 24 hours. Uh, they made those negotiations there. I don't really know what that's going to do or what type of impact that's going to have on that feeling. You know, I don't have a strong emotion towards that. That's going to solve much of the problem. Um, I don't think it is. And not just to put the problem on, you know, the, the current government in the United States, it's a global problem. You know, there's supply chain issues everywhere, but I think that there's certainly a lot of things we could have done better um, to be in a better position today. Also, you know, with these supply chain issues, which is hurting the industry, you have your staffing, supply chain, reduced menus and things like that. 
um, restaurants having to work with vendors to try to get the food in the place. They have food just not showing up or they have to make accommodations where they can only get one delivery a week. Um, you know, and then sometimes a lot of those things that they get, they have to substitute out for inferior product so, because that's all they have to offer and not the brand that they want to buy. Um, so it's, it's really hurting the operation overall, the restaurant industry. And there's a lot of things that are happening that when people dine, they still need to, you know, be cognizant of those things. The restaurant's not always going to have what you want. Correct. You know, Burger Correct. King might yeah. actually run out of hamburgers one day. You got to get the chicken sandwich. You never know. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. But seriously, you know, restaurants are closing now. Right. They're, they're closing because they don't have the staff. They're reducing the menu offerings. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's also just out of control. And it's just a snowball of just ridiculousness right now. Right. I really didn't think it was going to get this bad in 2021. 2020 was a horror show. Yep. Um, and 2021 is proving to be just as much as a horror show as 2020 was. With the For so. sure. I was reading in the Wall Street Journal that Procter & Gamble is only going to be selling bulk items like you would get at Costco. Because it's actually easier for them to, for a while, it's actually easier for them to just manufacture, and they're just telling you buy right. it in bulk or only selling it in bulk. Well, now you go to the, you go to the grocery store, you go to Costco, you go to Restaurant Depot. Now you're limited on how much you can buy now. So it's back to 2020 again. Yeah, which makes no so, sense to me. But that honestly, I blame us for that. Quite to be some of it, the supply chain. Yes, there's issues with that, but you shouldn't be hoarding. I mean, if 2020 taught us anything, we don't need to hoard. You don't. What are you going to do with that much toilet paper? That's what I want to know. Right. I was just down in the basement of my house. We have like a little pantry thing looking at it. We got one of those big Costco things. And that has probably been sitting yeah. there for two months now. It's exactly. been sitting down there. We still got half the thing. I want to know what you're doing with all of the toilet paper, olive oil, vegetable oil, water. Water I get. Yeah. Okay. Right. And goods, dry goods. Where, where yeah, are I'm, you going? I'm a water snob. I only drink bottled water, period, end of story. Right. And then now Costco is bringing back purchase limits on toilet paper, cleaning supplies, and more now. Glad I don't have kids, it's just I guess. absolutely ridiculous. You know? Absolutely crazy. I mean, I, listen, I love Costco, right? But none of this makes sense. It is what it is. It's going to continue to be this way. We just got to buckle down and deal with it just like we have. At the end of the day, we're strong people. Um, so, you know, as, as our industry evolves, and I was thinking about the subject, and I, I know we talked about it, we've talked about multi-brand growth. And yes. we've talked about, and you and I come... What was up with the hat? What was up with the hat movement just now? You like now? that? My hat. <laughs> it's getting hot. What do you think? What do you think? So, I'm I'm I turned you, you 41. You either way. You have that look either way, hat or no hat. Look Not at, that I want to derail this whole podcast right now, but you kind of threw me for the loop. Look at that gray hair. 41 two weeks ago. Not Stop. even not even one cutlet from Richard Tier for my birthday, which I'm not letting. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, back to multi-unit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so back to growing a multi-unit brand. The world that we come from, the world that a lot of our listeners that I speak to also are are in and also come from. So, you know, they might find this interesting. I'd be curious to hear their feedback in regards to what they think. But one thing I found is that when I first got into this business. Growing a chain was kind of taboo in the early 90s because chain was McDonald's. Yes. 
You know, it's like, I don't yeah. want to do that. I'm going into this business for the passion of the industry. And I'm going into the business because I want to be a chef and blah, blah, blah. And everybody thought that um, dining, that working in the restaurant business was going to be like, business was going to be like being a friggin' celebrity until they realized that it's not like that at all. And then the food network got big and then it gave everybody that impression again. And now it seems like everybody who goes into this business with wanting to own, they just want to be rich. So they're just, they, everybody wants to have the next McDonald's rather than turn away from it. Maybe not that kind of food, but I'm talking like, what brands can I grow and have a hundred of them? Everybody that we speak to, Christine, every client, whether they have one, except for the, our friend out in Long Island, because you know he's a banquet hall guy who runs a great place. Oh yeah. But like yes. everybody that we speak to, they're all, they're all, they're going to be the next TGI Fridays. You know, I, I don't know anybody right now that doesn't own a single unit something. They're not going to be, I'm the next, whatever this is. And they compare themselves Listen, to that. I'm here to tell you guys. Percent failure rate, 85% failure rate. We know this because we're consultants in the industry, 85 and I'm being generous, 85% failure rate with new concepts. Trust us when we tell you we've been on that side of the fence, right, Keith? We have. Brands taking a single concept and growing it, whether it's in New York or wherever else, right? It's a very, very, very tough process. So to give some advice that I would say that if you're going to grow a multi-unit brand, I think you got to get people to fall in love with the brand themselves and get some emotional attachment, which was actually yes. something that we always referenced that I remember they... A lot of companies did this, but Pret was big into eat with your eyes. Remember that? Love, yes. love the brand. And look at get their people. whole decor package. Right. The whole decor package was just so captivating. Right. And you walked in and there was a freaking beat with two eyeballs and hair. Right. And it was all made out of, it was just the art around the food was amazing. Right. But Pret was smart because when they came to the United States, to New York City, mm -hmm. Right. Brett had its original London menu. It did. And they realized that, that nobody Americans, wanted to eat almonds and curry on bread. <laughs> it's not that. It was the mayonnaise. Americans oh, right. do not have mayonnaise on every single sandwich. We, we don't. We, we don't. don't eat mayonnaise. There's like three things we'll have mayonnaise on. Right. A chicken cutlet sandwich from a deli. Right. right. Turkey. Right. And tuna. Tuna salad or an egg, egg salad. Something like that. Right. But I remember every single baguette or sandwich had mayo on it. And they just, they didn't do well in the beginning. Right. They right. shut down a lot of stores. And then they realized through, you know, feedback from their customers mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. It was, it was an ingredient thing mm -hmm. and they were smart. Right. They listened to their customers and they did the switch. They also, you got to remember, they had their branding down to a T. Remember what they did? They wanted like, when you walked out of that store holding that prep bag, it was supposed to be the same thing as if you're walking around the shopping mall holding a Versace bag or Victoria's yes. Secret. You know, Victoria's yes. Secret was known for their packaging that women went in there more about how the way it made them feel when they did studies than it did about buying the, the kind of lingerie or whatever perfume, whatever the hell they bought in there. Um, and I mean, the Victoria's Secret, from what I know, isn't doing too hot today, but back in its heyday, it was all about the feeling. That was their marketing. It was the feeling, not about what's going in that bag, but how you make somebody feel. And that's the biggest thing to grow a multi-unit brand. If you don't have that kind of loyalty, if people don't have that kind of emotional attachment towards you, you're already dead in the water. You, you might be able to get by with a great product in a local area, maybe, but you're not going to grow into a, a multi-unit brand. Look who we were talking about today, right? We were talking about a 
burger concept. We're not going to name the the we're not going to name the concept, but a burger concept, right? Remember the conversation earlier today? Franchise and then yes, 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 yes. And everybody, you would think bringing this big burger concept to New York, it would work. Full bar, and all that stuff. Full bar, everything, right? And it just didn't work. And they wound up closing in New York State, like a ridiculous amount of locations. But in any other state, they're doing great. Right. Even their Coney Island location, they couldn't keep open. That's the one I that I went to. Oh, really? No. I don't even know if the Coney Island location is open. I know that their Port Jeff location is closed. Mm-hmm. Their Deer Park location is closed. Yep. I mean, they tried. God bless them. But, you know, it's a New England brand, great brand. But it's for some reason, it just did not work in right. New York. Sad because I love the concept. What goes into number two is don't franchise to scumbags. Because that was also the other thing that hurt them. Remember, we knew people that worked there and they, yeah. and they didn't pay their people. That was, that was all over the news. Right. That was crazy. And they even put an episode in their reality show regarding the Brooklyn location, how one of the, uh, one of the, one of the owners had to go down there and reassure everybody that they were going to take care of them. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Because these franchise owners, man, they're either have, it's a 50, 50 shot. Either have a great franchise group that knows what they're doing and follows like the core of what the brand and the concept is. Right. Or then you just have these franchise franchise guys that just do whatever they want and utilize the decor package and the branding to just throw money in the bank right. and they completely desecrate it. So and it's a hard, it's horrible. So if you're going into bed with a franchisee in regards to owning, giving a franchise, you got to do be- like you're hiring them. You got to make sure they have X amount of dollars in the bank. And, a lot, and you would think some of this, I guess to us, it's common sense because we've dealt with it and we've helped grow brands, but that's just some things that people don't think of. You got to make sure they got a certain amount of capital in the bank, do background checks, See what you're dealing with because they might just be a tiny microcosm in your big wheel that you're spinning. But at the end of the day, yep. they could destroy your big wheel. Exactly. And that's how, that's the mentality you got to have. And that can take out – and it hasn't happened so much – well, it did happen to Jack in the Box, which initially happened in the 70s. There was a, They had an E. coli outbreak. That's I'll say that because that's very common knowledge especially to industry okay. people. And they were very, they bounced yeah. back from it. And I actually like eating at Jack in the Box. They got burgers and tacos under the same roof. I mean, if you're drunk, that's the place to go. I can't. You know, you ever go to, did you ever I go to can't. one? When I, I went to Vegas, no, I went to Vegas gone. when I was 19. I think we hit Jack in the Box up like 3.30 in the morning, like, like four nights a week. Wow. It was crazy. Wow. So their food's good and they, right. they bounce back. But that's the hard lesson is it was a franchisee that did that to them. You know? Yeah. And yeah, there's, definitely. they could have been McDonald's because they were growing at the same time. So just be careful who you do business with, do your research. Cause they could make you look bad. Don't think it's going to be like, you're going to open up three of your own locations. You're going to have a great product. And then you're just going to have franchisees and you're going to build your brand off of the backs of their finances and everything's going to be gravy. It's going to be a pain in the neck. And then if you get the right person and they have the right money and they have the right character and integrity behind them, you still have to go and constantly enforce the consistency that they're delivering the product that the people expect because the people don't know who owns a McDonald's when they walk into it or a Dunkin' Donuts. Now you have no idea if it's corporate or franchise owned. Right. So, you know, they got to be giving you the same thing. And that's something that I think that we find a lot of times as we've grown, people lose sight of that brand early on. I'm not going to say the name that's your call, but I remember, uh, you know, I remember you working for that. What would you say? 
what would you say hurt that brand? Yeah, so that brand, that was a London-based brand. Um, I got hired, Keith, to um, head up the operations in, uh, in the United States. So I was vice president of business development operations for this brand, and they wanted to take the concept and bring it across the pond. And it was, uh, it was an eye-opener. That was the second, um, I guess, launch that I've been involved in in my career. Uh, with getting something off the ground, even though it had a great reputation overseas, um, the market being the United States was very difficult uh, to kind of break into New York City being obviously the toughest because, you know, it's so brand saturated in New York City. Um, and it was uh, an eye opener on both my end and the, uh, the CEO slash uh, owner's end. Um, he was, I mean, great guy, brilliant, but he also felt that he could stand in the middle of Times Square and say, I'm here and expect the following that he had overseas. And in New York or in the United States, you have PR companies, you have marketing companies. Um, you just have so many things behind the scenes, stuff that goes on with launching a brand and making people notice it and see it that he did not feel that he needed to spend money in. Right. And brand ultimately, you know, we had two pop-ups, opened up two locations. They had really good product, by the way, though. They did. They did. They, I got to give that to them. If I could call up and place an order, I would place an order now and just get like cases delivered to my house. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, the whole process from start to finish was huge with regards to learning. Right. Because I opened up the United States warehouse and distribution center out in Long Island. Right. I was in charge of the distribution over to the United States and that you had to deal with customs and border control. So I definitely learned a lot there, but I also learned what not to do. What you said, stand in Times Square, as you know, I spent a good bulk of my career there. And just to say this to anybody, whether they want to open up one thing or anything, that is not the restaurant field of dreams. Just because you build it does not mean they're going to come. It is actually a harder market than you would pro probably think to build up into. And people just, people just have that. Cause I worked for a concept there, the last one I worked in. And I remember them, you know, their, their brand had been there for a while and it was dying and they brought in people who didn't know the market. They hired me cause I knew the market to rebuild the two, the two restaurants. And they were just like, I don't understand. I was like, what you guys don't understand is just cause there's a hundred thousand people outside. Doesn't mean they're all coming here. You still got it. And, you know, and they thought it was going to be a turn and burn. We'll just, you know, slap food out and, and people will just come. And that's not the case. There's actually a brand loyalty that's involved when you work in those markets and, and things like that, too. Well, you know what? There was another company that I was involved with um, and they grew, they grew to they grew really fast. I mean, it was just that was uh, there's no words for that, but. What I'm trying to get with that, uh, with that experience is this, is that if you're not in the restaurant business, you've never worked in the restaurant business, just because you're sitting on a, uh, you know, a mountain full of cash does not mean you have the right to open up a restaurant. You know, I'm a big Sopranos fan. Yes. Even go to Sopranos Con because I'm that kind of Sopranos dork. But Yeah, uh, yeah you're a little you're <laughs> obsessed. But um, hey, you've been listening. You've been watching it. I think you mentioned it the other week, so. I am. I'm up to season four right nice. now. The wait season four. That's one of my favorite episodes, but I love the chef Artie Bucco. He always, he made a comment that I've used. It is just, he's like, just cause you know how to eat doesn't mean you know how to run a restaurant. 
Exactly. And that's, that's exactly. one of my favorite comments from that show because it's so true. Well, you know what? You know what I heard when I was when I was a um, a employee for TGI Fridays, mm-hmm. right? And I would bartend, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm ready to be a manager." Right? We went through that whole story like yeah. episodes ago. Yep, I remember. GM turned around to me and said, "Just because you're a bartender and can hold down a Friday and Saturday night with no issues, right? And you could manage your other bartenders, and you could manage your money and inventory and all of that, does not mean you could be a manager." And you know what? She was right. Not in my case, but in other cases. Because people, when, when you're with TGI Fridays, it's you're a bartender, and then boom. The next step is like you're the hostess manager or the busboy manager. Like That's like the next step. And, you know, bartenders, amazing bartenders, some of them just can't be managers. And that goes back to the Artie, uh, the Artie Buco. So... Well, you know, some people can sell Chevys. Some people can't manage the showroom. It's the same type of thing. Do you remember when we first opened back in 2018, right? Do you remember our second, no, our first consulting gig? I was thinking of the uh, Korean, the, what do you call that? Hot pot restaurant. Yes. Him. The hot pot. Yes. The guy was a pharmacist at CVS. Remember that? Tell you what, if you let's get this podcast out to him, he should listen to it. That's real proof that we're not scumbags because we could have taken him for thousands and walked away with it. <laughs> I could have bought my Range Rover that year. Let's toot our own horn. We saved him. We saved his life. That's all we did was we saved his life because we literally sat there and his quarter of a million dollar inheritance, and we talked him out of it. Because he basically turned around to us and said, I'm going to give you all this money. I want you to create my concept, deal with the landlord, staff me, write my recipes, like from soup to nuts. He wanted it all done. But he wanted that guarantee that he was going to be successful in two years. And that's when I turned around to you and I said, we cannot do this right now. Yeah, My mother put me in Sunday school for a reason. There's no, <laughs> I don't want to have to go see the priest and confess that one. What, what you do? I destroyed a person's life. No, we would never do that anyway. So, but I'll tell you, he is a guy though, that if we, if he was to come back with us. So on the flip side for successful franchises, there is a growing popularity of multi-unit franchises, not just to build them, but more people that are going into the food service industry are getting steered towards, let me buy this brand rather than create my own. So you see the two sides right. of it. So if, if Hot Pot Guy, and I honestly hate to say I don't remember his name, so he's going to be Hot Pot Guy, was to call us. The and Hot say he wants, Pot Guy. And say, oh. hey, I, 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 I had a quarter of a million dollars. Three years have gone by. I did really well. I bought it at the right time in 2020 in the mid-March, and now I have $750,000. I might turn around and say, you know what? we got to start looking at franchises for you. Because if you're somebody who is going into that, they'll treat you like you're almost a manager in training. They put franchisees almost through like Burger University or Taco University or Hot yes. Pot University, you know, and they, yes. they give you the tools. Hot, hot. So if, if you do and you have the capital, you're almost better off going that route, you know, but buy, but that's, that's where you would need someone like us to guide you into the viable brands because there's lots of 20, 25 unit concepts out there and they're just not ready to franchise or their brand. is just, isn't going to stick and they'll be gone in a year. We've seen it happen. You know, we've talked about some bad examples in regards to how to, what not to do is for a multi-unit operation. 
we have a, yes. we have good examples too, and there's lots of people who are successful. And I think the passion that you and I both share isn't just about the dollar, but it's about helping brands grow and seeing them win. Uh, one one group that we worked with, if you remember, we went back in January. They were looking for a director of operations. They wanted yes. to go on. They wanted to go on their own and look for somebody, which makes sense. Uh, we said we wish them the best of luck. They found somebody. Um, during that time, I've, I've dined in their place many times because their product is amazing. They got, I don't know how many yep. locations they have now, but it'll probably be double a year from now. Their product is so good. Uh, amazing. So they, they came, we saw they were looking again. We approached them a second time and they decided to sign with us. And, and you know, we got lucky to work with them and it's been a real pleasure. And um, it was an immediate hire for them too. Yeah. And we filled it in what, two and a half, three weeks. Yeah, that one went pretty easy. So we got them two director of operations, I think, right? Because I, I did. I yeah, we placed working. two DOs with them. And we weren't even looking to place two DOs. We just presented them with two really, really great candidates. And they couldn't pass up either one of them. And they wound up hiring them both, which I think is amazing. Which is why they're um, going to be successful. It, it, because, you know, exactly. most, and they have great products. multi-unit brands might, you know, they'll have two great people, but they'll only hire one. And they're like, no, we're not going to nickel and dime this. We, when you, you have to have the right people aligned with your vision and they recognize that. So they're going to go a little heavy on the people to grow their vision, which makes complete sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? And it was a pleasure to work with them because they are extremely organized with their interview process. Um, they know exactly what they want. And our recruiter literally had an amazing time with them. Um, he wants to work with them again. And, you know, they're now staffed up. They could run their business. They have two DOs that could run. I think they have about 16 or maybe 18 locations across the U.S. Um, uh, never mind what's overseas. Um, and now they have the manpower to go ahead and move forward with the, with the brand. And, you know, I'm excited that we were able to be a part of that. Uh, to help them grow and, you know, become stable and, um, you know, get the people into place that they need to, uh, you know, to oversee their operations. So good job to Rich for, uh, for the placements. Good job to him. Good job, Rich. There'll be 36 units by next year because of the mentality that they have towards their people. Absolutely. But yeah, definitely a great story. But I also wanted to point out something, you know, I'm, I'm reading in the news, right? That you know, you have these vaccine mandates now that these companies are, which, you know, I have a huge problem with, right? How they're mandating these vaccines. People are losing their jobs. Companies can't function. Look at the airlines, okay? Just as one example, because that's current right now. But it's also hitting the industry as well, right? So, you know, my question now to everybody out there is when did... When did the CEOs get to play fake doctors? Right. And politicians. When, right. did, when did they get to play fake doctors? What happened to the core responsibilities of being a, um, whatchamacallit, a CEO, right? So, you know, you play fake doctor and fake politician, but you don't realize what you're doing to the employees, right? So as a parent, now you have to come home, tell your significant other, that you've lost your job, you have children, you have a mortgage, you have food you need to put on a table, and a CEO who's sitting there in some C-suite with his feet up, right, is playing doctor and pretty much determining whether you're able to support your family or not. 
based on whether you're going to get a vaccine or not. Right. Now, the Delta Airlines CEO. And don't forget mayors. And mayors. The Delta Airlines CEO, I believe he did it the right way. And I put it on my LinkedIn. I put it on my social media. I celebrated him because he went about it the right way. Okay? He, he had a solution to an ongoing issue in this world. And he never mandated it. He never told his employees that they were going to get fired. Right? So, again, my question is, what who out there gave these CEOs titles of fake doctors? Like, how are you determining what these, your employees should put in their bodies or not put in their bodies? Because as a CEO, right, there's core competencies, characteristics, and responsibilities that we need to follow. Okay. And it's very simple. And I'm going to, I'm going to put them out there because apparently y'all forgot about them. Okay. It's flexibility. It's honesty. Changes according to the situation. Encouraging initiatives, value-driven decision-making, delegating, integrity, leadership by example, clear vision, and humility. And it's important. And those are just the basic CEO characteristics, core competencies, and responsibilities. I mean, leadership styles are very flexible because there's no fixed traits um, that any CEO should exhibit, right? And it just, it all depends on the situation and something like this, it, it hurts. It bothers me that, you know, people have to go home and, you know, lose their jobs because of something so absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, and with that, you know, you know, I I'm pro vaccine, but not for the, the mandates just never have been. So, you know, all through the process for me, it has really not been much of an issue because I, I was like, I'm willing to do it, but I definitely felt the other side to the coin when it was like, because I have the Moderna shot. They were like, well, you know, the FDA approves that you can mix the booster shot. And I was like, I'm going to get the booster yeah, shot, but you can mix your ass. Like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I, like, I don't give a shit what you say. I, the booster will be Moderna, just like the vaccine was, period, end of story. It's not up for discussion with you. Right. With but anybody. I, I want to make a point to, to, to me talking about uh, the Delta CEO, right? So he ditches the COVID vaccine mandate. I mean, and I applaud him a thousand percent, but he also has 90% employee vaccine rate. So he did something right. Okay. He didn't force it. He did something right. And I think that is the best way to go about it. So Keith, this brings us to a close of the episode, but you need to deliver the Cove Hole of the Week. Cove Hole of the Week is people in power who aren't doctors that want to enforce vaccines onto people without any medical background to do so. Those are the cove holes of the week. I didn't. I haven't bumped into any or read of any this week, unfortunately. With that, before Christine talks about, or I'll talk about, we we need someone to draw a damn picture of what a cove hole is. So we need submittals on our website. But with that, if you come across somebody and you have a good cove hole story, like if you see some jack off at your local Dunkin' Donuts put his fist through plexiglass, which does happen. Or scream at somebody because, you know, the, scream at an employee because they tell them to wear a mask. Please email us the story. We'll feature you. We will send you your very own personal Davide Hancock Cove Hole Destroyer t-shirt. I got one. I should have. I wish I had the thing. I'm looking for it. I don't have the shirt with me. Well, it's vintage because it's, it's vintage. got the old logo right. You'll on get, it. You're going to have it's the vintage. new logo. I'm sorry. You'll have the new logo Cove Hole t-shirt. Yes. We'd love to hear stories of things that you witness, read about, or hear about in regards to Cove Hole. That's great. So guys, if you have a cold hole of the week, submit it to connect at dhhospitalitygroup.com and get your free cold hole destroyer t-shirt.
Yeah, T-shirt. Well, we're going to make them baseball jerseys, so uh, it's going to be pretty cool. Okay, we're still accepting Koval of the Week submittals for our logo. Um, there's a $300 gift card for the winner. Uh, we've gotten a lot of submittals already, um, but we're going to run this till November 1st and then announce the winner and showcase the uh, the logo. Um, again, thank you guys for listening to Behind the Counter. Please follow us and subscribe on Instagram and YouTube. Visit our website at dhhospitalitygroup.com. And thank you for listening and have a great week.